everybody, I'm Karen Hartglass. You're listening to another episode of It's All About Food. I am here with Gary DiMatteo. We are both together in the same room. In the same apartment. In the same apartment in New York, where we should be. It's August 16th, 2022. Just in case you didn't know the date. (laughs) And here we are. And speaking of dates, I just made some really great cashew milk. M-E-L-K. Milk with raw cashews. And I sweetened it with raw dates. And we're having it with Ticino. The cashew milk with sweetened with raw dates. And so I would just like to cheers. Cheers. This is the most yummy, refreshing summer drink. So if you can't have caffeine, which I I must confess, I mean, we have to be transparent here. I spent the better part of three months in California. I was directing two shows and I might have I might have had some tea with a little caffeine in it. I might have even made some coffee Woo! and had a cup because one of the places that we were saying had an espresso machine. I may have used it and made myself an espresso and some steamed milk. Okay, Gary, you used it once. I may have made two coffees. Okay, <laughs> confession. But it was this. It was this great you made house it twice. that I think we talked about the last time I was on your show, and it was in the um, in the really wonderful part of San Francisco, right across the street from Golden Gate Park. And it's nice and chilly there all the time. And this was in the summer. It was really fun to have an espresso machine with a grinder and milk steamers. All the toys. Yeah. So I'm back on a caffeine-free regime. Regime? Regiment. (laughs) And so I I broke out the Ticino. I made some Ticino. And then I made some cashew milk with a little... Sweetened with a little dates and some wonderful vanilla extract that you get. I don't know where you get it, but it's great. Madagascar. Madagascar. You go all the way to Madagascar to get your <laughs> vanilla extract. Let's talk about that because I think that people would love to know how you get to Madagascar and back so quickly. <laughs> we buy this great vanilla extract. And so I put a little bit in there, blended some cashews and water and some dates it's an excellent cashew cream, cashew milk. Cashew cream. And uh, steam that a little bit, then add it to some ticino, and then I iced it, and that's what we're drinking right now. I went a long way to say I'm enjoying my cashew ticino, cashew milk ticino sweetened with Oh, me too. I'm dates. really enjoying it too. And you know, it is all about food, and it's all about food and drink. It's a great summer drink if you are trying to stop drinking caffeinated beverages but still want to feel like you matter (laughs) (laughs) is that what it does makes you feel like you matter makes me feel like i matter especially if i put it in a great looking glass well there's so many different kinds of drinks that i like to have either in the winter or in the summer and sometimes i'm in the mood for something that's very thirst quenching and refreshing. And then sometimes I want something with a little more heft. And Ticino definitely has the heft. Yeah. Ticino is... Um, it's meaty. It's really good. 
<laughs> I think it's made from chicory. That's one of the ingredients. Yeah. 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 Check I, it out. It does have a very coffee-like flavor. There are different flavors of Ticino flavored with almond or hazelnut or chocolate. And I'll tell you what it goes really great with. It goes really great with this raw, speaking of chocolate, this raw chocolate pie that you made last night. Wow, we're really jumping right in, right in with the food well, here because I mean, it's, it's all about all food. about food. So let's talk about the food. Okay. This raw, I mean, we're talking about the Ticino. And the reason I made it hot first was because I had a little sliver, <laughs> a little sliver before we went on the air of the chocolate pie. And I wanted some hot Ticino, even though it's 80 degrees and feels like 800. We're going to get back to that in a minute. Yeah. The temperature. Sure. Okay, so But this raw many... chocolate or roar, roar, <laughs> this roar chocolate pie that you made, wow. So good, goes right? Goes great with Ticino. So how many times have we sat at home, and I, I, I think we've said this from time to time, where we fantasize about having dessert after dinner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I'll say, oh, excuse me, I'll have the uh, we always, and I the always strawberry ask you, cheesecake. Yeah, or why the... haven't you made cookies tonight? And, you know, <laughs> and we just talk about it, and then the mood passes, and, then and we'll we're get a fine. piece of fruit or something. A piece of fruit or a date or two. But the other day, we bought some dates. And I said to Gary, I will make you a raw chocolate cake. Well, let's talk about why. At our little market on the corner, oh, yeah. the natural, you know, they have a, a an organic section and they have a conventional, which we can talk about later too, how people call conventional produce the produce of insecticides and herbicides. And biocides. And biocides. They have this one section in their refrigerated food section that has these great raw vegan slices of vegan cakes and pies. And when you were in Wisconsin doing your show, I had a birthday and I celebrated it by having one slice of a raw chocolate pie. And so I was looking at him the other day when we went to the market and you said, no, I'll make you one that's even better. So I said, okay, let's not buy any. You make me one. And you did. I did. Now, I didn't make the kind that I had in mind because that required too much time and too much prep. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do something fast. And I've done this before making little raw balls. We have a few recipes at Responsible Eating and Living where you grind. Raw balls. <laughs> where you grind nuts and or seeds and dried fruit. And you put them in a food processor until they all clump together. And they make kind of like a dough that you can form into balls or any kind of shape that you want. Yeah. And I did something similar, only instead of making balls, raw balls. Raw balls. <laughs> I pressed it into a pie pan. And then you could slice it. Like It was, it was very good. It was very truffle-like. Yeah. So this was made with walnuts, almonds... Dates, cocoa powder, and vanilla. So I mean, the how cocoa, simple is that? The cocoa powder has a little bit of caffeine in it, so I might be flying right now because of it. Oh, that's true. It's okay. I don't think it's a whole lot. And it's early enough in the day that we don't have to worry about it. Right. Whew. So it's delicious. So the thing about raw desserts, and I've been thinking about them a lot lately. 
when I have that sweet craving. I think raw desserts, for the most part, are perfect and practically guilt-free. Yeah. And there are so many kinds that you can have, and I don't know why I don't make them more often. I might have to, I might have to change that. Yeah. But, you know, veganism isn't about giving anything up or losing anything. You can have certain desserts that are loaded with sugar, loaded with chocolate. It just doesn't have to have animal in it. And there's so many. I mean, speaking about the packaged vegan desserts that I found at The Natural, for heaven's sake, there are so many vegan desserts out there. We don't normally talk about a lot of vegan dessert on this program, or do we? But... What we try to do is we try to take a a healthy spin on a plant-based lifestyle. This is a really great way to have your cake and eat it too and be vegan. Have your vegan cake and eat it too. I want to say that in 10 days, my mother will be 89 years old. Oh, right. Right? And we're going to be celebrating her 89th birthday. Right, Mom? 89, it's fine. You're divine. We've been saying that a lot lately. Now, when my mom was young... She used to sing a song called Shoe Fly Pie. Shoe Fly Pie, and Apple Panned Outie makes your eyes light up. Your tummy say howdy. And it's her signature song. My sister and I learned it when we were growing up. She still can sing it with that style from the time that I love, that kind of Darstay, Sarah Vaughan, kind of a combination of a lot of different singers from that era. But the funny thing is, I think it's funny anyway, none of us have ever eaten shoe fly pie. Oh, wow. And none of us have ever eaten apple pan dowdy. In fact, none of us really knew what those were. So my question is, has anybody out there eaten a shoe fly pie or... And apple pan dowdy. Now, I've looked up the recipes online, and they're both disasters. (laughs) They're just sugar, 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 sugar. Well, isn't your mom's nickname that your father had for her? Sugar. Wasn't it sugar? Yes, she loves sugar. Anything with sugar. So I decided for my mom's 89th birthday, I am going to make vegan gluten-free versions of shoe fly pie and apple pan dowdy. So stay tuned for those. I may even post those recipes and I am making that disclaimer. These are not going to be healthy treats. This is literally going to be a once in a lifetime thing because none of us have had them before and we'll never have them again. Well, the New York Times calls shoe fly pie. It's, it says that it's thought of as, as the cake baked in a pie shell or so wrote Jean Hewitt, the New York Times food writer who offered a recipe about this in their paper way back in 1965. And the ingredients for this is basically flour, brown sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg, salt, cold unsalted butter, molasses, boiling water, and pie crust. Yeah, that does not sound like a healthy dessert to me, but we're going to have fun with it. A cake baked in a pie shell. Wow. Okay, shoe fly pie. Yeah, and then the apple pan dowdy is like you take the crust and then you kind of chop it up and cook it with the apples. And it makes like a pudding thing. Right. Again, we've never had it. And we're going to have a gluten-free vegan version of each. Stay tuned. 
Yeah, the Apple Pan Dowdy is a baked apple pastry traditionally associated with Pennsylvania Dutch cooking. So that'll be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be very, very interesting. <laughs> and that recording that you're talking about, Chew Fly Pie and Apple Pan Dowdy, is a popular song about Pennsylvania Dutch cooking with music by Guy Wood and words by Sammy Gallup. Wow. It was first published in 1945. The song became a major hit in 1946, both for Dinah Shore and the Stan Kenton Orchestra, featuring June Christie on vocals. It also went on to be recorded by Guy Lombardo and his famous Canadians, and by Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. And yeah. by Lois Hartglass. And who my was... segue, which you beat <laughs> me to it, was, and by Lois Hartglass. Who was Lois Levy. Who was Lois Levy, who went into um, a sound booth somewhere in Manhattan and recorded the record. And here's a little bit of Lois singing Shoe Fly Pie and Apple Pan Dowdy. Check it out. Shoe Fly Pie and Apple Pan Dowdy makes your eyes light up. You tell me, say howdy. Shoe Fly Pie and Apple Pan Dowdy. I never get enough of that wonderful stuff. Shoe Fly Pie and Apple Pan Dowdy makes the sun come out when heavens are cloudy. You fly high and apple pan dowdy. I never get enough of that wonderful stuff. Wow, wasn't that great? <laughs> oh, I love that. She had an awesome voice, didn't yeah. she? Yeah. Wow. Happy birthday, Lois. Happy birthday. Yeah, Stephen. there was a lot of crackle there, but it's a very, very, very old 45. That we recently recorded so that we had a digital version of it. No, everybody thinks that you have a record player right here and that you're playing it. Well, I could. The old-fashioned way. I got my mother a record player specifically so she could play the few records that she recorded a long time ago. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of molasses in shoe fly pie, so we're going to have to buy some more. I know, because we had a bottle that was ancient and we got rid of it. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yes. Yeah, so. And I just want to say to those of you who have things in the refrigerator that have been there for a long time, it's time to let them go. <laughs> yeah. How do you get rid of that bottle of molasses that you've had forever? You just do. <laughs> you just put it in the garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to back up here a bit. Okay, back up. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. We haven't done a show in three weeks. The well, last it's August. And it's August, and it's been hot. And, and I want to talk about the heat. I talked about the heat the last time I did a show. It was towards the end of the program after I had interviewed my guests, and I talked a little bit about what I was doing here in the apartment. You weren't here. You were in California. And I was managing very nicely. It was in the 90s, but it wasn't humid. And then Gary came home from California, and he was really exhausted because he had been living on adrenaline and maybe a little caffeine for a few months. I was tired too, but the heat was back in the 90s with humidity. Yeah. Humidity. It was really, it was, well, it was a heat wave. And we tried to weather it out without air conditioning, and it became dangerous. Yeah. I think it was dangerous Fried because I couldn't function. And so we turned our air conditioners on. And I've mentioned before, I really don't like to use air conditioners 
They're an environmental disaster, but they are also a lifesaver. And as soon as we turned them on and the place got cool, we were back up and running again and we could live. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a historic heat wave. A lot of people were writing about it. Temperatures got up into the 90s and above with exorbitant humidity. It was becoming truly unbearable, not just for us, but for many New Yorkers. And yep. it drastically impacted the quality of life for New Yorkers around the cities. It was pretty unbelievable. And so we turned on those air conditioners for a very short time, only a couple of days. And that's how we got through it. And I'm very grateful for those air conditioners. And I know that there are some people in New York City all around the world that may not have the luxury of turning on an air conditioner and have to find ways to cool down. Well, that's the cool thing about, no pun intended, but that's the really cool thing about New York is that most playgrounds you go to have these very decorative playground equipment and incorporated in that playground equipment is water features that they turn on during the hot days of summer that you can just literally go to the park and stand under some gigantic shower and basically get soaked. And the other thing you can do is find a fountain. A lot of the fountains around New York cities, around New York City, have people standing in them. <laughs> um, for example, Washington Square Park. They turn that fountain on and um, well, there's a lot of people that go in that. I'm sure there's a lot of water features around the city that people were occupying just to stay cool. It seems like it's getting hotter, although I know that conservatives would disagree with me. <laughs> Well, we all know why it's hot, and we know it's our fault. Human-induced global warming. Right. And it's only going to get worse. Something to look forward to. Keep your Ticino close and ice it. And I don't know what you make your ice cubes out of, but we use our distilled water to make ice cubes. Nothing but the best for us here at Responsible Eating and Living Headquarters. Now, something I did while you were away in California, Gary... When I came back from Wisconsin and I was here for a month or so before I came out to see you, is I made seitan. Yes, you did. I made three recipes from Sky Michael Conroy's book, Crafting Seitan. Now, some of you may remember back in April of 2021, a year and a half ago, I interviewed Sky Michael Conroy on this show about this book. And to prepare for talking with him, I ordered some organic gluten flour, and I thought that I would make some of his recipes before the show to talk about them. Right. So for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, it's a high-protein vegetarian food made from cooked wheat gluten. So this is not a gluten-free product. This is a... A gluten-full product. And some of you may be saying, hey, wait a minute, Karen. A few years ago, you swore you would never touch wheat again. And you told us that if you did, we were supposed to remind you that you weren't going to eat wheat. (laughs) Right. And I want to say that I don't eat a lot of wheat. And I found that if I occasionally eat organic wheat products, I'm okay. So I figured I would give this a try. And I made... Three recipes, like I said. One was what he calls his chicken recipe. I think he spells it C-H-I-K-N or something like that. And I used it to make drumsticks. That was fun. 
And then I made his shredded beef recipe and the these pork medallions. Now he's he spells chicken and beef and pork in interesting ways, so you know it's not the flesh of unfortunate animals. It's just wheat gluten. And his recipes combine tofu with the gluten to get a certain texture. And I had fun making them. And then I put them all in the freezer so that Gary and I could try them when Gary got back. And we did. Yeah, we, we did. We've tried the shredded beef and we've tried the drumsticks, right? We did. And uh, I made a cacciatore sauce for the drumsticks. And the drumsticks are crafted around a popsicle stick, right? Yep. And so you do have that that thing you can grab onto that makes it the drumstick. It's delightful. And it made a cacciatore sauce. The drumsticks went in the cacciatore sauce and made a little polenta to go with it. It was really good. Gary, what's in a cacciatore sauce? Or maybe Gary DiMatteis' version. I basically use a little red wine, actually vermouth. I use a little red vermouth, some onions, some garlic, carrots, celery, bell peppers, tomato products, Simmer that down. A little splash of vinegar, balsamic vinegar, for a little slight tang. It's It was really good. And it then, was really good. I love red peppers or orange or yellow, the bell peppers. Not the green, particularly, but I like the red, orange, or yellow in a sauce like that. So good. Yeah, it was really good. We made a, uh, a, a sauce, a very south of the border <laughs> kind of sauce for the uh, shredded beef, the shredded seitan. Which was awesome, and that was you know a same the same kind of sauce you would use a sauce that you would find in a pulled beef carne asado kind of recipe. Only I added tomato to it as well. So lots of lots of chili, different peppers, and then added some tomato to it. It was really good. It was really good. It's all about the sauce. And we it's simmered, all about it, the sauce. simmered it down, and, and you made some tortillas, and we had seitan asado, really delicious. And we still have some left in the freezer, the medallion. I'll probably do those in a piccata sauce, you know, lemon butter and mm-hmm. capers, but not butter, of course. Vegan butters. It'll be fun. I read an article just the other day that had to do with the heat wave and the drought, because here in New York is not the only place there's been a heat wave. There have been heat waves Speaking all of- over the world. Fires and frying and droughts. Droughts are really scary. There are places where they're really running out of water. And and so the governments have passed local bans for certain uses or when they can use water. And I read this article that in France, there were some activists that were annoyed that golf courses were exempt from some of these bans that they put out on water use. And so they went to a golf course and filled up the holes with concrete. Now, this is not something that is permanent. Obviously, the, I'm sure the people at the golf course quickly dug them up and recreated the holes. But they made their point. And I'm not really sure how the government has responded. But water is a precious resource. Yes, it is. And it's scary that we're going to have to prioritize who gets it. And we're already doing that to some extent. Who gets the water? Do corporations get the water to bottle it and sell it? Do we have a right to water, to clean drinking water? I would like to think that all living beings have a right 
to clean drinking water, but that's not how it works in some places. So it's a precious commodity. Now, speaking of golf courses, golf can be a fun game. I've never really got into it, but some people like it and you get a lot of walking in. But golf courses in general are a disaster on the environment. Not only do they use water, but most of them use a lot of biocides, pesticides and herbicides on the green to keep it free of weeds and green and keep it just grass. So what's the solution? What's the solution? If somebody likes to go out and walk around a golf course and hit a golf ball, what is the solution? Well, at the very minimum, they should be maintaining the grass organically. You know, I don't want to slam golf courses, but I guess I am. (laughs) Or should there be any grass at all? Maybe it should be all all done with AstroTurf. Oh, I don't know. If you play golf and you want to keep playing golf, but you know it's a disaster on the environment, what are some of the solutions? Instead of just saying, well, the best thing to do is to go out on a golf course and plug up the holes... Which is oh, great, I'm not saying that. Which that's... is a great way to get people's attention yes. about the problem. Is there a solution? Can we start looking at solutions to some of these problems? Well, when there's a drought, the right. water should go to people and animals who need to drink. And also to grow crops to feed everyone. And I, I, know don't a think, lot of places, I don't think a golf course would take priority on water use. A lot of places that are experiencing drought, a lot of people have replace their lawns and their gardens with drought-tolerant plants and have gone the route of using an AstroTurf product that's maybe easier on the environment, still gives you that green look. (laughs) So is it possible to do an entire golf course made I don't know, 18 holes of AstroTurf? Hey, I'm just saying, is there a solution? I don't know. Is there a drought-tolerant solution to golf courses and maybe (laughs) some golf courses are actually practicing that so what i want to try to do on this program when i'm on it with you is start a conversation about solutions because right now we're talking a lot about the horrors of what what is going on we're not talking about any of the solutions so well one of the obvious solutions that we've been talking about ah that's what i was getting since this program began in 2009 is consuming a whole food minimally processed plant diet exactly that's the biggest solution that's the easiest solution that's something that everybody could do today so becoming vegan is the most important and direct change we can immediately make to save the planet and its species you know who said that don't you I don't. Chris Hedges. Yay! Yeah. And it's really important. This solution that I keep talking about is the solution that you just mentioned, which is to go vegan. And if you're not a vegan, please consider going vegan. It's not only a matter, as you know, Gary Francione has been quoted, and he's been on this program. He has said, it's a matter of nonviolence. Being vegan is your statement that you reject violence to other sentient beings, to yourself, and to the environment on which all sentient beings depend. So it's violence on the environment if you aren't practicing a vegan lifestyle. And not just on the animals, not just on yourself and your health, but on the environment. And what we're witnessing now 
is, you know, these droughts and these horrible fires and these heat waves, this is a direct result from what all of us who are vegan and have studied this know is a result from animal agriculture. It's frustrating and difficult to see it unfolding before our eyes because I know myself personally, I've been talking about this for over three decades. I've been reading books and studies from people, scientists and other people and activists talking about the devastation to the planet, global warming, and what was going to come, the droughts, the floods, the difficulty with weather and hurricanes and tornadoes and everything becomes more extreme and we're seeing it happen now. But what we're not seeing is people reacting enough to make well, dramatic change. We're seeing it in little that's bits, great. but it's not dramatic enough. Often, the greater our ignorance about something, the greater our resistance to change. That mm. was Mark Beckoff. Oh, he's good. Animals. We've had him on the show. Yes, I know. That's why I brought him up. Mm. Mark Beckoff also says, a reduction of meat consumption by only 10% would result in about 12 million more tons of grain for human consumption. This additional grain could feed all of the humans across the world who starve to death each year, about 60 million people. Now, imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that just by stopping the consumption of animals and animal products, you could save... A lot of food. A lot of food and a lot of lives. Instead of... Hoof. Make ethical choices in what we buy, do, and watch. In a consumer-driven society, our individual choices used collectively for the good of animals and nature can change the world faster than laws. Again, Mark Beckoff, mm. his book, Animals Matter. Well, laws don't change until, until there's a certain quantity of people that demand change or start supporting change. Then you see the laws change. The laws don't change the way people think. People's way of thinking change and the laws follow. Don't wait for the laws. Do it now. Yes. And that's why this Make program, it's all about food. We try to give you a lighthearted view about how you're not really going to have to give up anything that you're going to miss. As a matter of fact, you know, we talk about Satan, we talk about um, all of these dishes that we make that have that same sort of texture and, and mouth flavor that maybe you're used to. So we try to, we try to keep it, we try to keep it within those lines so that, you know, a cacciatore, for example, I mean, that was a, a food that I grew up with. And I swear there is no difference between a seitan cacciatore mm. or a, a tent or a seitan asado than what it was that I used to eat. It's really all about the sauce. And yes, the seitan has that same meaty texture and there are different degrees of chewiness that you can experiment with when you're making seitan. And if you like gluten and you are all about protein, seitan has a lot of protein. Give it a try. There are seitan products now, again, in the grocery store that are already flavored. I know we talk a lot about gluten-free products on this program, but uh, this is a program where we're actually going to shout out to folks who still 
like to eat gluten. Yeah, if you don't have a problem with gluten. Now, I do recommend that if you're going to eat any wheat product, it should be organic. Right. Because the conventional slash industrial slash not organic varieties of wheat, many, if not all, have glyphosate residue. Because the trend now is to harvest wheat using glyphosate, which is the key ingredient in Roundup Ready herbicide products. And they use it as a desiccant to dry the wheat to speed up the harvest. And there's been plenty of evidence now, many studies that have shown significant residues of glyphosate in wheat products. So if you're going to consume wheat and wheat has fed humanity for a very long time. Yes. But it's been wheat that isn't what we call conventional or industrial. It's wheat that was not hybridized and wheat that doesn't have these biocide residues of glyphosate. And you remember during the pandemic, we were trying to get those, we were trying to grind our own... Einkorn. Wheat berries into flour. And many of the places that help carried these organic wheat berries were out of them because a lot of people felt the same way about, mm-hmm. about it that we did. You remember everybody was baking bread. One more Mark Beckoff quote and then I'll stop. <laughs> Hunting and fishing involve killing animals with devices, such as guns, for which the animals have not evolved natural defenses. No animal on earth has adequate defense against a human armed with a gun, mm. a bow and arrow, a trap that can maim a snare that can strangle, or a fishing lure designed for the sole purpose of fooling fish into thinking they have found something to eat. Mm. Hey, I had a dream the other night that I was a fish. This is no lie. And it just it just brought this up. And that I was underwater looking up at the water and I was seeing all of these lovely little bugs on top of the water. And I thought... I wonder which one of those is attached to a hook. Oh, that was a dream you didn't even tell me about. No, and I was just reading Beckoff's quote and remembered my dream. Mm. I was actually, it was clear as day. I was under the water, I was a fish, and I was looking at all of these little, and I was starving because, you know, I was, I'm a fish, and so I'm eating bugs that land on the water. And I'm looking, and I knew because I was not really a fish, I was a human who all of a sudden was a fish. And I said, oh my gosh, I bet one of those flies on the water mm. has a hook. And if I, if I go and eat it, I'm going to swallow this hook, and it's going to be my death. Isn't that strange? It is strange, but maybe some fish do know. I don't know. Yeah. I hope they do. Because stay away the whole the idea, the whole concept, and, you know, this is all about food, and a, a lot of people are probably thinking, well, you go vegan, but I eat a little fish. I mean, as far as violence goes, that is just as violent, if not more so, to trick an animal into thinking that they're going to go have a nice mouthful of bug and realizing that they're being yanked out of their environment by someone who's doing something for sport. It's like walking a golf course that uses petricides and herbicides and and things. things we don't think about. Right. And then the runoff contaminates the water that the fish live in. And the Every- unfortunate fish who gets 
hooked. It's painful. They have so many nerve endings around their mouth opening. It's painful. And for those who feel like they're being kind and they're catch and release, they take the hook out and they throw the fish back. The fish is now wounded and is now vulnerable to become prey a lot more easily to another animal. Somebody we should get on this program was as an actor named David Duchovny, who was in the X-Files, and he wrote a book called Holy Cow. I'm not even sure if David is still vegan, but this quote is really interesting, and it kind of sums it up. He takes the perspective of the animal, as I just did as the fish, and he says, You humans drink our milk and eat the eggs of the chickens and the ducks. Isn't that enough for you? Hmm. Isn't it enough that we give you our children and what's meant for our children? And if not, When is it enough? All you humans do is take, take, take from the earth and its beautiful creatures. And what do you give back? Nothing. I know humans consider it a grave insult to be called an animal. Well, I would never give a human the fine distinction of being called an animal. Because an animal may kill to live, but an animal never lives to kill. Humans have to earn the right to be called animals again. Oh, that's good. Isn't that great? That's really good. So um, so there's a lot of good happening out there in the world with respect to trying to get people to think about this. But again, the people that have the most resistance to change are the folks that won't even give it a second thought. And I don't know how to get to them. <laughs> and some of those people are in our own families. Yep. Some of those people are our friends. Well, the only way to get to them is to get to a lot of other people. Because when there's this momentum and when there's this increase in numbers, then more people understand it. It's either the sheep factor, and I don't want to insult sheep by comparing them to humans, but... I think you understand the concept when we tend as a society to be swayed by the popular thought, by the masses. And then in addition to that, I also think there's this global consciousness. And as more of us are thinking about cruelty to animals and more of us are thinking that we do not need to consume animals to live, That goes into the bank of the global consciousness and more people are able to pick it up. Now, that's a little woo-woo-wawa. No, I I think I I really get what you're saying and I think it's really... But I think the culture can change that way when there's more people thinking about these things. They talk about meditation, for example, when there are big groups of people that meditate and certain changes can happen when a lot of people are meditating on something. Yeah. I think it's, it's that sort of thing. I think that's good. I think another thing is, is, is words are very powerful and how we label things to make us feel better. It's very powerful. I think another person that I'm going to shout out to Ruby Roth, 
I'm not sure if you've had Ruby on. The I've show. had her on several times when she had written some children's books. That's why we don't eat animals. A book about vegans, vegetarians, and all living things. Yep. We strive for a world where every Earthling has the right to live and grow. That's why we don't eat animals. And she uses the word Earthling, and I think that's a great word. I think instead of saying there's humans and there's animals. I think we should all start thinking about mm. every living creature on this planet We're as an earthling. Earthlings. Earthling. We're all earthlings. Right. And so why would we want a world where every earthling does not have the right to live and grow? Why would that be a world that we would want to live in? Okay, I'm going to do I'm using that. I'm earthling. using that from now on. I know you've had Ruby on the show. Yes. Yeah. Ruby is doing some amazing artwork now. I follow her on Instagram. Right. And she's always drawing different women. And she draws a lot of women nude. And she has invited people to share some emotional story or a meaningful story or something. And she will draw them in a way that relates the story or a feeling she's really gifted yeah she's and that's a great book i mean whether it's whether you're a child or an adult ruby's that's why we don't eat animals is a great book and it's a very quick read (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love reading i love talking to children's book authors because i don't have to work that hard (laughs) but you mentioned words gary and I had that on my list of things to talk about I know, today. I know. This is all pre-planned, Karen. <laughs> I know. You like to say that. I was reading an article the other day, uh, several of them. It started in the New York Times, and the author had linked some articles in his article, and I went to those to read them. But it was about how people in the alternative health movement say the things they do, the words that they use, and how they manipulate or how they convince or try and educate people to think the way they do or promote the things that they want to promote. Right. And we're part of that alternative health movement. But unfortunately, there are many shades Maybe unfortunately isn't the right word, but there are many shades of alternative health. So we have, even in the vegan movement, there are many different kinds of vegan diets. Yes. And then we have the vegan diet. Then we have the plant-based diet, which (laughs) the plant-based concept, you know how I feel about this. I cannot stand how the word plant-based has been abducted and abused. Right. But it is. And then there's paleo, paleo, I like to say paleo, paleo and keto, <laughs> keto diet. Right. And it's all part of the alternative health scene. But the language, the language that we use, the language that we use, you and me, Gary, to talk on this show with our listeners are often the same. The words that we use are often the same that other people use to promote what they're talking about. And it kind of jolted me into, what am I doing here? Because we always like to say that we're sharing the truth. And for Responsible Eating and Living, it's part of it's part of our name, the truth and tools for healthy vegan living. 
And yet other people are peddling what they call the truth. And it it's not the truth. No. And that's why our acronym is real. Because what is real often isn't what is the truth. So the reality for what we talk about on this program is also the truth. And it's the real truth. It's responsible eating and living real. Yeah. So, you know, all of this plant-based and vegan, again, categorizing things. But if you say earthling, for example, that's a great, that's a great word to use when we talk about defending all living creatures on this planet, not just humans. The same thing goes for the way to eat. Maybe another word is two words with a hyphen in the middle of them. In, and that could be cruelty-free. Mm-hmm. So it's a cruelty-free way to live. And that means cruelty-free to all earthlings. It's, we have to add a lot of adjectives <laughs> to right? explain what we mean. Because a lot of people take that, like you said, plant-based, and they, they, may, it. They, may eat, they may eat fish, they may eat chicken, they may go to Colonel Sanders and, you know, pick up a vegan meal. And it might not be the best, healthiest thing for them, but whatever they do to make themselves feel better about it, whatever they do, usually involves words like plant-based. What do you, what do you say? It's very difficult to communicate right now in 2022 because I think our language has been abused to some extent. Let's talk about the humane society and, and the person on the street <laughs> that stops you. And the first question is, what do you ask them? I say, are you vegan? And normally that just shuts them down and you just keep on walking. Yeah, I, I had this strategy a long time ago when people used to ring doorbells when, when I would live in a house and we would have different missionaries come and ring the doorbell and want to tell me about their religion. I don't know if that happens as much anymore because everybody gets freaked out when people ring your doorbell and you don't know who they yeah. are. Yeah, that's true. That's another story. But my first question would be to them, are you vegan? And they're like, blah, 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 blah. what? Are it, you vegan? It's, I mean, it's the greatest thing you've ever, I've ever seen is when someone who works for the humane society Humane society is not vegan. Not and vegan. when you ask them, are you vegan? And they say no. And then you follow it up by saying, I will fill out your your survey when you go vegan. Because yeah. to work for the humane society, you should at least have to be vegan, right? Well, there are a lot of people that work for the humane society that are. But that's not what they're promoting. I know, but... Yes. And there are... Animal rights activists that will tell you the Humane Society is big and rich and powerful and they have a great opportunity to do so much more. But then, like I spoke with Josh Balk on this program and he basically said, sure, he would love, I don't know exactly what he said, but he's a vegan and wants a vegan world, but he feels like the Humane Society is doing the best that they can. Right. And a lot of people say that we're doing the best that we can. A lot of people say you're going to be vegan and there's going to be like some barista at Starbucks when you order your soy latte that's going to forget that you ordered soy and they're going to give you 
cow's milk oh. and you're going to drink it. I've never tasted a soy latte and I had to question whether or not it was soy because that's a very different taste. Mm-hmm. Sure. And when you take cow's milk after being a vegan and you taste it, it makes you want to gag. But but you're going to do the best you can. And sometimes you may not know that the vegan meal that you've ordered at the conventional restaurant that's not a vegan restaurant, maybe the guy used a little chicken broth. Or maybe the guy used a little butter. Or maybe the deep fryer also fried chicken wings. Which is why we always ask, is your... Well, we don't, we rarely eat fried food. And we'll get to that in a second about a meal we have every day. <laughs> but you're going to do the best you can. But really, knowing that you're eating something that isn't vegan and calling yourself vegan, I don't know. Or working for an organization that promotes a humane, humane, humane treatment and you're not practicing humane, humane treatment. <laughs> yeah, those people that, What's in a word? Yeah. And and I've I've gone to a lot of vegan restaurants and I've asked the server, are you vegan? And they have said to me, honestly, no. I just needed the job. Yeah, I know a few. I know a few that dropped my name to get a job in a vegan restaurant. (laughs) Where do you draw the line? How do we communicate? And which words can we use that aren't the same as the people that are using those words to promote their message are using. Right. But, you know, the sign of a free society is that people can use words and can can say that, no, no, my way is the truth. Your way is not the truth. We have to agree to disagree in a humane way and not walk up on stage and stab the person for writing words. Oh, please. And that was a shout out to... Salman Rushdie. Salman Rushdie. Wishing you well. Okay, so the last thing we're going to talk about, because you just mentioned it, is the restaurant we went to this week. And it was really a lovely day. It was oh, just it was like, great. it was it's a couple great. of days after the heat dissipated. And we went to Northport on Long Island after which visiting is, my mom. Which is about what, 25 minutes away from where we live? Uh, maybe 40. It's not right around the corner, but. But we drove. We drove. And it's on the water. It's really lovely. And there's a restaurant there called the Purple Elephant that has vegan and gluten-free options on their menu. So it's a nice place to go with a group of people who all have different food requirements. Yes, it really is. And we went there and we were feeling festive and celebratory and kind of giddy because the air was cool and comfortable and the atmosphere was beautiful and we hadn't done something like this in a long time gary just got back from california we haven't seen each other very much okay you get the picture so i was feeling a little giddy and they had they had some nice salads on the menu and i definitely wanted to get a salad they had a few appetizers gary got the nachos they were vegan nachos and they had a vegan beef empanada And something said, oh, Karen, just try it. And it came and had a nice little pickled garnish that was really lovely. But then I bit into the empanada and I could not eat it. It tasted like old oil. 
Rancid oil. Rancid old oil. And the server was great, and he took it back, but it really did... It kind of tainted... It bursted my bubble. Tainted the whole experience. Yeah. What lesson did you learn about ordering something fried? Never. Never again. Never order anything fried. Never again will you order anything fried. As a matter of fact, you had ordered the the cauliflower buffalo salad or the buffalo, you know. Crispy cauliflower in a buffalo sauce on top of the salad. Right. And I had ordered what was called the kitchen sink salad. And so I swapped with you. I just, I'm going to do do a, like a nice romantic thing because I knew you <laughs> didn't want the deep fried food. And so I ate the deep fried cauliflower. But that cauliflower did not taste deep fried and it didn't taste... No, like... I think the empanada was bad. I don't think many people probably order the empanada. It was probably... It old. tasted like old freezer food to me. You yeah. Know? And yeah. Anyway, so if you're heading towards Northport on Long Island and you go to the Purple Elephant, there are some nice things there. Don't get the empanada. <laughs> Don't get the empanada, but everything else we had was great. The chocolate cake was very good. Yes, yes. You even gave me a little taste, and it was great. We were supposed to share it. I know. I had a little taste. But again, I really had a great time, and I am really, I really want to give this restaurant a great review because I think any restaurant, and it was packed, any restaurant that has a menu that features more vegan items than non-vegan items is all right with me and gluten-free and gluten-free yeah and has a gorgeous view of the water it is yeah sit in the back it's really wonderful they have a full bar because again you don't have to give up alcohol if you go vegan they had an organic cider on the menu but we were driving and i didn't want to have any we didn't drink any booze but i mean for those of you that want to take a nice trip to north port maybe stay in a hotel and want to do some vegan food, check out the Purple Elephant. It's cute. Very cute. Yeah. It's all about food, esteemed guests. And that's why we're here. Okay, what else? We're I mean, done. We're done? We're done. Wow, that, that's great. Gary, I really had a good time talking with you, and I, I've missed this. Yeah, this was I've good. I've missed this back and forth, staring at our Yeti microphone, talking to everybody. This is good banter. Okay, everybody. Shoe fly pie and apple pan dowdy. Coming soon. Coming soon. Can't wait to hear about that next time on It's It's All All About About Food. Karen. Gary. Have have a delicious delicious week. week.